CMSF, the annual conference of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, brings together a mix of local and international speakers to discuss the most pertinent topics of Australia's $2.7 trillion superannuation sector. Join a host of AIST personalities in this podcast series as we sit down with some of the key speakers from the 2019 conference to give you an overview of their expertise and insight on some of the biggest topics to be discussed at this year's conference. Thanks for chatting to us today about challenges of the decumulation phase. It's something that is dear to my heart and that we have been grappling with here in Australia recently, but it's taken us longer than it should have. So for many years, we focused way too much on the accumulation phase of the super system here, and we talked way too much about people accumulating balances. Uh, More recently, we have adjusted our language and our focus to the decumulation phase and to people spending money rather than saving it and to people's income levels rather than their super balances. So I'm really interested in hearing about your insights too. Can you start by setting the context for us as we think about the decumulation phase? What are the challenges that members face and how are they different? Well, you know, one of the interesting differences, of course, with the accumulation phase is this question of longevity. How long will you live? This is the central problem that is unique. Now, of course, this is true when you're 25, year old, 25 years old. You don't know whether you're going to live till 80 or 90 That's or true. live into 100. But nonetheless, it becomes more obviously acute and more important when you think about how you do use your assets in retirement. Are you going to need it for 20 years or 30 mm-hmm. years or more? And uh, so that longevity risk is this central uh, important question that arises. And then, as you mentioned, there, it, it really is, from a member perspective, a puzzle you have a pool of assets. Mm-hmm. Now, how to translate that into an income stream? I know we've, re- as you said, the superannuation system has restated its purpose about creating income streams in retirement. Mm-hmm. But we present today members with a puzzle, which is here's a, here's a, here's a pile of money mm-hmm. and figure out a regular paycheck to pay basic and discretionary expenses with. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the puzzle we have to solve. Mm-hmm. So... Now that we know what the puzzle looks like, what are we learning about how members actually behave during the decumulation phase? What do they do when they're faced with that puzzle? Well, this is really, this is what's so striking about the recent findings in academic and industry um, studies, both here in Australia, uh, in the United States, in Europe. And that is a couple of things that are interesting. First of all, we call it the decumulation phase, but there aren't a lot of people decumulating. Mm-hmm. There's actually, um, on average, for example, the median um, net worth of uh, Australian and American households actually rises over time. People aren't spending down their wealth, they're actually holding on to it, and they're not spending as much as they could. Um, One reason they're accumulating assets is they take income from a variety of sources, old age pension, they might be, some might still be uh, partially working, monies from their defined defined contribution accounts, their superannuation accounts, and they're not spending it all. Mm. They're actually saving a bit of their income. And this is the surprising thing that people continue to save in the early years of retirement. And then the other thing that I think is kind of interesting is that we're also discovering that instead of often we think of post-retirement income as giving people a paycheck for life. But it turns out a lot of people have a lot of ad hoc spending that they'd like to do, periodically tap their money for a large purchase. And we have to help them with ad hoc spending, not just a, a systematic income stream. So that's that's the other element. And I've, I finally would conclude with 
there's a there's a great debate. In fact, we just had that at the conference uh, today about why might people be so um, cautious yes. in spending on their assets. And one of the possible explanations, besides bequests to children or charity or generalized uncertainty about the world, the other thought is that the fear of aged care and needing some assistance and wanting the flexibility to spend money on that, if necessary, is one of the motivating factors for this kind of behavior we see. We mm. see. But I guess the key message there is that spending is lumpy and uh, it's not... It's not smooth. Right. I, I, there's a simple model uh, that we use uh, at Vanguard, which uh, I know a lot of financial planners use as well, is that people have basic or routine income expenses mm-hmm. that they need, to, you know, the bills they have to pay each month or each quarter or a year, yearly. But then on top of that, a lot of spending, whether it's on travel or entertainment or other elements, is discretionary and will vary and be, as you said, lumpy. Mm. That's why I actually come to the view that income generation in retirement is as much a service as it is a product. People tend to think of it as a product that generates regular monthly payments, but I tend to view it more as a service that can help people with, for example, if they want to tap a big chunk of their money, that you can tell them the consequences 10 or 20 years down the road. It's a really interesting way of looking at it. So uh, what do you think are are some strategies that people should be thinking about going forward? Well, I definitely think for uh, superannuation funds, for defined contribution systems in here in the United States um, and other countries, I think the real, the central first question is how do we help people with that asset income puzzle? How do we create regular income streams? Is it a product capability that we have to add? Is it a service capability, as, as I believe? Um, uh, just to give you some illustrations, uh, in the uh, U.S. today in uh, retirement plans, in 401k plans, there are certain new digital services that you can sign up and they'll create a monthly income stream from your account and manage your account for you. They're relatively new. Not many people are using them. So that's that's an idea of how mm-hmm. you could create a regular service. And of course, um, I always I always describe it as the, the first job of a world-class defined contribution system is to do that, to create this regular income stream post-retirement, whether it's a service or a product. Beyond that, I think the puzzle that we talked about at the conference today is what else should we do knowing that later in life, individuals will have questions of cognitive impairment mm-hmm. or they might be physically impaired because of an illness and need support from aged care services, social services. How do we understand that element of um, uh, our, if you will, our members' customer experience and how do we think about our income services and our drawdown capabilities in light of that. I actually think there's a lot more research to be done there because, quite frankly, I don't think there's any obvious examples. Today we were talking about product capabilities like long-term care insurance. We were talking about annuity capabilities that have long-term care features. There's a lot of product solutions you can jump to, but I actually think we have to do, as an industry, understand more about what happens with uh, through customer research about what happens later uh, in life before we jump to product solutions on the aged care side. Product solutions will, I, I suspect, be part of the solution, but are not necessarily all of the solution. And I think one of the, one of the mistakes that our industry here often makes is jumping to the product solution. Um, I've seen that in all kinds of contexts over the years. Well, it's funny you mention that because you say regular income and what do people say immediately next? Inco- income annuity. Right? They jump to the product solution rather than to thinking 
uh, of different approaches. For example, this idea of a, I, I tend to believe that the baseline service that we should all offer around the world is a regular withdrawal service, an income service. And then if that includes partial annuitization, that's, that's, that's a possibility. But it's really part of the solution, not a standalone product. It shouldn't be so revolutionary because when you think about banking, you have a bank account and you can withdraw money regularly from it and it's not treated as a new product. It's just a service that you are provided with as somebody who holds that product. That, yeah, that's a good analogy. Yes. Yeah. We're talking about super and, and savings, but what about housing? We here in Australia, most people's biggest asset is their home. Most people have most of their wealth tied up in housing and we also have an emerging cohort of people who, uh, for various reasons, reach retirement and don't uh, have housing security. So there's a couple of different problems there. How, how do we deal with those issues? It's so funny because... Um this is true in a number of countries uh, with defined contribution systems. If you look um, in Singapore, for example, one of the great characteristics, the first generation of, in the Central Provident Fund is that they have savings in the Central Provident Fund and huge housing mm -hmm. equity. Mm -hmm. If you go into the U.S., uh, nearly 80% of all households at, in retirement have housing equity, and often it's equal to or greater than their financial savings. Uh, from um, retirement savings. So uh, it is a puzzle around the world. And it, the interesting question about housing um, equity is, uh, is there been attempts at reverse uh, mortgage products? A lot of them in different markets have been uh, tainted by mis-selling and required regulate, regulatory intervention. It's interesting, there's been a whole reform in the U.S. and still the products are not popular. And it's, it's, it is another one of these behavioral puzzles I think we need to understand because one of the best ways to help households with limited resources is to figure out a way to tap that home equity. Yet individuals and in, in it's sort of the paradox like um, the paradox of saving into retirement. People want to continue to save their home equity for a rainy day uh, and not spend it down. And that's, I think that's the puzzle we have to work on. Mm. There's certainly a lot of people who don't want to sell the family home. Mm, right. Or um, I can understand why people don't want to go into negative equity, but people don't want to eat into that equity. Um, and you're right, I don't think we really understand why. Right. That would be a good research project too. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen to our other interviews with key speakers from CMSF 2019. You can find out more on our upcoming events program by heading to aist.asn.au forward slash events. See you next time. <laughs>